Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrology of eclipses and specifically how to determine what an eclipse will be for you based on where it falls in your chart in terms of especially the 12 houses, which represent topics or areas of a person's life. So joining me today is Eclipse Specialist Extraordinaire Lisa Scheim. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Chris. Uh, do you like that title that yeah, I made up just now? Yeah, thanks for adding that. <laughs> okay, I thought it was fitting. Um, so this is an episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we're recording an introduction to it right now tonight. But what the majority of this episode is actually going to be is a recording from a local astrology group that we hosted here in Denver earlier today on, what is it, July 13th, 2019. The meeting started just after 3 p.m. and we're recording this later at night at what, 9, 10? 10-ish. Yeah. 11, something? Yeah, something. Sagittarius rising for those who want to know. Um, Pisces. Pisces rising <laughs> with Jupiter and Sagittarius. So yeah, what this episode is going to be is a recording of a meeting of the Denver Astrology Group that was about two hours long where we had an audience of about 25 or 30 astrologers and we went through and explained and talked about and presented some some ways of how to conceptualize and how to interpret eclipses based on where they fall in your chart. And we took examples from the audience where once we had explained the principles, we started asking people to apply it to their chart and tell us about either how the current eclipse series is affecting their life and how that seems to be manifesting, or how previous eclipses have worked in their life. And we got a lot of really good examples, I think, right? Yeah, I think there were really great examples from most of the houses. So hopefully you watch and agree. Um, yeah, there's some great stories in there. Definitely. Uh, and then we'll post a little, we'll do a little wrap up or conclusion at the very end that we'll record here in just a minute as well. Mm -hmm. So this is hosted, this is a meeting of the Denver Astrology Group. If you ever want to attend a meeting, if you're coming through Denver, you live in Colorado, just do a Google search for Denver Astrology Group and you'll find our page on Meetup. We always meet on the second Saturday of each month. If you want to support the, the podcast, like by becoming a patron, you can sign up through my page on Patreon and you get early access to new episodes, um, bonus content like we do an episode on electional astrology each month, and other things like that. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. So with that introduction out of the way, let's uh, get into the episode. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So thanks everybody for coming to the July meeting of the Denver Astrology Group. Uh, what is the date today? It's the 13th? Today is July 13th. So it's Saturday, July 13th, 2019, starting at 3.06 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so if this is your first time attending the group, how many time people is this your first meeting? Just out of curiosity. Okay, cool. Um, so we always meet here on the second Saturday of each month, always from 3 to 5 p.m. here at the Mercury Cafe. So sometimes we schedule our meetings kind of late because we like to catch speakers who are coming through from out of town and sort of remain flexible to just uh, do things that come up on the fly sometimes. And that's sometimes works out really well in the past. And other times we end up scheduling meetings really late like this month. Uh, but you can always be sure that we'll be here on the second Saturday pretty much no matter what. Uh, the only exception for the time is that next month we're actually going to be meeting at noon instead of at 3 p.m. just because there's a wedding in here later in the day. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about eclipses, and we're going to be talking about how to use eclipses uh, and apply them to your birth chart in order to understand what they mean for your life. Uh, and this is kind of topical both because obviously we're in eclipse season now, and this month we have our first set of eclipses in Capricorn and Cancer, uh, but also we're hoping that it's something that will be more generally applicable to you as a technique throughout your life and your career as 
astrologers or astrology enthusiasts. So um, before we jump into it, do we have any like news and announcements? Um, not that I can think of other than that. Okay. Yeah. So there is going to be a big astrology conference happening here next year, which is the ESAR conference, where the International Society for Astrological Research, which is one of the largest astrological organizations in the world, has actually picked Denver to host their next big international conference. And they're expecting uh, seven to 800 astrologers to fly in from around the world for a week of astrology lectures and workshops and panels and other presentations. Uh, so that's happening next September in September of 2020 up in Westminster. Mm -hmm. uh, and what hotel is that at? Mm, I think it might have been the Westin. I don't know if I'm remembering that right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Marriott. The Marriott. Okay. okay. Well, okay. whatever it One is, it's a super nice hotel <laughs> yeah. that they renovated recently and it should be pretty cool. So they may have some volunteer positions for local astrologers where we may be looking for local astrologers to help out in exchange for um, getting into the conference for free or something like that. So as soon as we have more information about that, we'll put out an announcement. And then if anybody wants to volunteer to help at the conference, they can. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're looking for speakers. We're always yeah. looking for speakers. If you're an astrologer or an astrology enthusiast, and if you'd like to give a short presentation at some point at one of the meetings, one of the things we do sometimes to give people experience giving talks is do a bunch of short 20 or 30 minute presentations rather than like a long hour, hour and a half long presentation. So if you have any interest in giving a talk at some point, then just email me or Lisa through the meetup page. And we'll try to set something up for you at some point mm -hmm. in the future. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with our topic today, which is the topic of eclipses. And um, so the main theme that we're going to focus on, and one of the recurring keywords for eclipses, is the idea of them representing great beginnings and great endings. And this is tied in with the modern conceptualization of eclipses, because part of what an eclipse is, of course, is it's just a new moon or a full moon. Uh, and they have to, when you start looking at eclipses and thinking about what they mean astrologically, that's your starting point is realizing that eclipse is a, a new moon or a full moon, but it's a special one that only happens approximately every six months. So about every six months, we'll have a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse occur roughly in the same month, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be um, usually in pairs of two of opposing signs. Every now and then, there'll be three in a row because of the motion backwards of the nodes. Um, but basically, as Chris said, they're kind of supercharged new moons or full moons that happen near the transiting nodes. Right, so because new moons and full moons, of course, happen every month, but the issue is that the new moon and the full moon, when the sun and the moon conjoin at the same degree in the zodiac, they don't always pass, even though they're passing it across the same degree of the zodiac at the same time at a conjunction, which is a new moon, they don't always pass uh, directly in front of each other, uh, both by longitude and latitude. And it's only when they when the moon passes in front of the face of the sun that it actually moves in front of the sun and eclipses or blocks it from view. And that's why eclipses are unique, and that's why they only happen in six-month intervals, uh, because what's happening the rest of the time is just the sun and moon are making zodiacal conjunctions, but not conjunctions by latitude. Uh, and that's actually what the nodes represent. Most people don't realize this, that the north and south node represent the um, point on the ecliptic where the sun and moon intersect perfectly. 
And that's the reason why in order to spot eclipses when you're looking at an ephemeris or you're looking at a chart, you just have to find a new moon or a full moon that falls within about 15 degrees or 20 degrees of the nodes. And if you see a conjunction of the sun and moon happening close to the nodes, you know that an eclipse is going to take place near to that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's some question about like exactly how many degrees away um, it has to be in order to count, right? Like within what range? Right. As an eclipse. Yeah. So sometimes you'll have a partial eclipse where just part of the moon blocks part of the sun. And other times you'll have a total solar eclipse, which is when the moon entirely blocks uh from our visual standpoint, the vision of the sun, and then you get a full total uh, solar eclipse. Mm -hmm. And for astrological purposes, you know, obviously astronomically, we don't always see all of the eclipses depending on where we are on the globe. Um, so for instance, um, I think this recent one was visible from South America, right? Yeah, so yeah. this is a total solar eclipse that was visible from South America. Mm -hmm. So astronomically, you're not going to see each one, but astrologically, it still matters. Each eclipse is still effective whether you can visibly see it or not from where you are. Right. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about eclipses and talk about how to interpret them in your chart. And we're hoping that people can start thinking about and applying this to your own chart and thinking back to your past chronology about previous eclipses. Uh, once we introduce the basic framework of how to interpret them and what they do or what you should be looking for, we're hoping that this is going to spark some ideas for each of you and some um, realizations in terms of your past chronology. So one of the things that we gave you as a handout is a two-page sheet which lists um, all of the eclipses that have occurred in the past, what is it, like 50 years or so? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or more. Mm-hmm. So this is from a book. This is just a photocopy from a book uh, by an astrologer named Neil Mickelson. Uh, and the title of the book is, what is it again? Was it the Handbook of Planetary? I don't know if I'm remembering that right. Tables, yeah. of Tables of Planetary Table, Phenomenon. Tables Thank of you. Planetary <laughs> Phenomenon. And it's produced by ACS Publications, which is the same company that publishes the American ephemeris that most astrologers use just to look up planetary placements. Um, so I definitely recommend getting that book because it has a lot of handy tables like this one, which at a glance tell you where all of the eclipses have taken place and specifically what zodiacal signs they've fallen in, as well as what zodiacal degree they've fallen in over the course of most of the past century. So we're going to be focusing on the eclipses and not focusing so much in terms of where they fall by degree, but instead we're going to encourage you to focus on what sign of the zodiac the eclipse is falling in and seeing especially what house, which of the 12 houses in your birth chart, the eclipse falls in as activating some of the topics associated with that area of your life. Mm -hmm. And they happen twice a year in pairs, like we mentioned, and that'll be a series of about three to four in the same signs and therefore activating the same opposing houses in your chart. Um, so that's kind of, kind of the time frame. There are specific days where the eclipse actually happens, but in terms of when the, that eclipse cycle is kind of operative in those topics of your life, it's that range. So about three to four, six month periods. Yeah. So um, in order to like anchor this in the present time, the most recent eclipse that occurred this month fell uh, at about 10 degrees of cancer in the zodiacal sign of cancer uh, around July 2nd. Mm -hmm. 
So, and this is a solar eclipse. So it's like a new moon because it's a conjunction of the sun and moon, but it's a special new moon um, that's only occurring in six month increments. And because it occurs in six months, month increments, it has an effect that's going to last for at least the next six months. So one of the things that um, I think trips astrologers up when they first start studying eclipses and trying to apply them to their charts is sometimes they see an eclipse coming and they expect there to be an immediate event that happens at the time of the eclipse. But oftentimes that's not the case because that's not necessarily how eclipses work. Um, but people sometimes get dis disappointed and sort of like discard eclipses and say maybe they're not that big of a deal. Um, but what you need to do is pay attention to what house the eclipse falls in and then pay attention to whether some of the topics associated with that house start to have major changes in terms of major beginnings or major endings over the course of the next six months. Mm -hmm. uh, from that eclipse series, the first eclipse, until the next eclipse takes place in that same sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and oftentimes things can also be seeded at that time. So if you're similarly, if, if you're looking for something to happen immediately that's externally obvious, that won't always happen. Um, and part of it is that time frame that you're looking at versus right on that date. But the other part is sometimes it'll actually, especially with the new moon ones, it will seed a beginning, but you won't see the sort of further development of it quite yet immediately. Right. And that's especially true for solar eclipses. Since right. a solar eclipse is a new moon, it represents some sort of new beginning or new foundation. Uh, because at a new moon, the sun and moon can join, and then the moon um, starts off sort of dark and then starts to increase in light and get brighter and brighter over the course of the next two weeks until eventually you hit the full moon. And the full moon is usually conceptualized in Western astrology as some sort of culmination um, of events that were usually initiated at the new moon. Yeah, and I always um, tell people that it can also precipitate um, things happening more quickly than they were expecting, in addition to those major significations of um, you know, beginnings and endings. Sometimes it'll spark something unexpected in a little bit of overlap way with, like, say, a, a sort of flavor of a Uranus transit. Um, not exactly the same, but sometimes that kind of feeling can overlap. Sure. Uh, so we had the solar eclipse in Cancer on July 2nd, and then uh, about two weeks later after that, we'll have a lunar eclipse that's going to take place in Capricorn around July 16th. Mm -hmm. At 24 Capricorn. Right, at 24 mm -hmm. Capricorn. So that's the present set of eclipses that we're going to, and those are the ones that we want to focus on right now in terms of um, what sort of changes might we anticipate that these eclipses are going to bring or are going to indicate for each of our lives. Uh, and so for some of the, us, this set of eclipses, this particular set of eclipses is going to be more important, and for others, it's going to be less important. So it's not a given that the eclipses are always going to be super important for every person, but part of um, the difference is where it's falling in your chart and if it's hitting a prominent part of your chart or if it's not necessarily hitting a prominent part of your chart in terms of determining whether it's going to be uh, crucial for you over the course of the next six months. Mm -hmm. And when it tends to be crucial, it's usually when it lands in the angular houses in your birth chart. So that's first, fourth, seventh and tenth houses. Because those are kind of like the major structural underpinnings of our lives. The first house being identity and, and who we are personally. Fourth house being home, where we live, our family. The seventh being partnership. And then the tenth being career. Right. 
Um, so is there anybody who has the eclipses falling? Is there anybody, for example, that has Cancer rising or Capricorn rising so that the eclipses are falling in your first or seventh houses? Anybody? One, two, three, four? four. Okay. Um, so those are definitely important. Like one good example of that I remember from years ago was um, Barack Obama has Aquarius rising and we had a set of eclipses that occurred in Aquarius around the time of the 2008 presidential election, um, which was one of the things that indicated him being elected at that time and, and moving into the presidency. Uh, then what was interesting is that four years later in 2012, there was another set of eclipses that shifted to uh, Scorpio and Taurus, which was his 10th house or his 10th whole sign house, and then he was reelected. Uh, we then had something kind of similar with um, Trump, where in early 2017, there was a eclipse series that started in Leo, and Leo is his rising sign. So we had sort of a similar repetition of the last two presidents having eclipses uh, occurring around their first house uh, around the time of becoming president. Mm -hmm. And that can happen because, I mean, the first house is is so vital to who you are. It's kind of the most important house in the chart when it comes to who you are. And it sometimes can indicate putting, when there's an eclipse, they're putting a spotlight on you or getting sort of attention or recognition more than usual. And that's kind of why those manifested that way for them. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that everybody needs to keep in mind as well is that eclipses they don't just focus on one house, but it's always tying together the polarity of the house that it's falling in and the house that is opposite to it. And that's because eclipses bounce back and forth over the course of about an, a year and a half or almost two year period between those two signs. Um, so that what happens is that when the nodes, when the north and south node move into a new set of, a, of signs, you know that there's going to be eclipses in those signs for approximately the next year and a half or two years. And you'll get, for example, in this eclipse series um, in July of this year, earlier this month, we had a solar eclipse in Cancer, and then we had a, we're having a lunar eclipse in Capricorn. Then six months from now, we'll have a lunar eclipse in Cancer and a solar eclipse in Capricorn. So it just keeps jumping back and forth on that axis between Cancer and Capricorn for about almost two years. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that in your own chart, you need to think about what two houses it's falling in and what the relationship is between those two houses and how the topics associated with those houses are working in your life at that time in realizing that there's often an interplay between those two houses. Mm -hmm. And frequently in this series, so right now, for instance, we're solidly in Cancer and Capricorn eclipses happening in the same month and the same thing with the next couple. Um, in six months and then in 12 months. But um, frequently as they move into the new signs, there's a little bit of wobble as far as them not having two exactly opposing signs. So they kind of come on gradually. So for instance, in this series, there was one that people were debating whether or not, right, it was considered a full eclipse in Cancer last July, July of 2018. Mm -hmm. And then there was the first Capricorn one in January of, of 2019. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so there may have been some do you have a question? So I'm Capricorn Rising. Okay. So this next eclipse that impacts that for how long is it two years? Yeah, roughly two years. 
just because it's going to be jumping back and forth between Cancer and Capricorn um, starting over the course of the past year, since the nodes moved into that sign, they're going to take about a year and a half or almost two years to move through that sign. Mm -hmm. And w one of the things you can do with, with this as well, since it, it happens over about a 19-year cycle, um, the eclipses happening in the same places in the sky. So for instance, the pair of eclipses happening this month, they're actually at the exact same degrees as um, July 2000. And so if you happen to be old enough or remember, you know, what you were doing in July 2000, they're actually in the exact same place. And similarly, about halfway through that cycle, so about nine-ish years in, there'll be um, the eclipses in the same signs, but in the opposing, it, it'll be the opposition. Right. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any more questions? Like, I feel like there might be more questions at this stage, and maybe it's good to get some of them out of the way at the start before we start going into examples. No? Okay. Um, and I, I think one thing that you wanted to mention as well is, you know, there's a lot of really active astrology going on in the sky right now. And so um, while we'll be focusing on the eclipses today, um, whatever major things might be happening in your life right now may be pinned to the eclipses, but may also alternately have to do with some of the other things happening. Um, in particular, Capricorn, wherever Capricorn is placed in your chart is a real hot spot right now and for the next while, simply because Saturn and Pluto are transiting there and they're going to have the exact conjunction in January. Um, that's also where the eclipses are happening. And so interestingly, well, I'm, I'm sure that people are feeling that already in whatever house that they have, especially if it's in one of your angular houses. But um, you can particularly look to say the next set of eclipses because they'll actually happen around the same time as that Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So there's more things happening, in other words, than, the, than just the eclipses, even though we'll be focusing on that today. Yeah, that was one of, when we talked about taking example charts from the audience to focus on how the eclipses are manifesting in people's lives right now, it was one of the things that we suddenly became reticent about because we realized there's so much astrology going on right now. There's so many changes like happening in the sky and in people's lives that sometimes it's hard because it's not in all likelihood just going to be tied into the eclipses and what's going on with that at the present time. But for example, with Uranus having changed signs for the first time in a decade and moving into Taurus earlier this year, that's coincided with a lot of major changes and shifts in people's lives. Uh, more recently, or in the longer term, over this three-year period, like you said, we have Saturn going through Capricorn. Um, but also right now, recently, we had Mercury stationing retrograde in Leo conjunct Mars. And that in the short term, as, as at least for some people, has thrown certain things into disarray. So we're going to go through some example charts today, but hopefully we're going to have to try to sort through and be cognizant of that there's kind of a lot going on in the sky and the eclipses are just like one more thing that's being piled on top of that for a lot of people at this time. You had a question? And the difference between this eclipse and the one that happened 19 years ago, mm -hmm. right now there's a lot with the, with the Saturn and Pluto thing. 19 years ago, Mars, Moon, and Sun were all at 10 degrees. So it gave it a little bit different flavor. Okay. There was a lot of um, athletes that were really shiny at that time. Mm. Those were in Cancer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 10 degrees. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's one of the things that's also different about each eclipse is there's going to be different planets in the same sign surrounding the eclipse at different times. 
And that's something ideally you could take into account or, or should take into account to some extent. Um, but for our purposes, let's focus on the eclipses as like the primary thing as much as we can and focus on the idea of the eclipses drawing out the polarities of the two houses that they're falling in in your birth chart. So um, one of the things we could do maybe is just go through the houses and talk about like those polarities that might come up mm -hmm, sure. and see if anybody has any good examples from the audience of eclipses having fallen in those houses in your chart and those topics coming up in your life at that time in the past. So as we're going through these houses, um, look back at the handout and just see um, when in the past the eclipses would have fallen in those houses in your chart. And for our purposes, uh, Lisa and I are going to be using whole sign houses, and that's sort of the approach that we'd recommend in terms of paying attention to what houses the eclipses are falling in in your chart. It's fine if you use a different form of house division and you want to apply it in that way. Um, but as a starting point, you might find it useful for timing to focus on the whole sign house. Um, how many people are already familiar with whole sign houses? Okay. So for those that aren't, all you have to do is find out what sign the ascendant is located in in your chart. And whatever sign that it is, the entire sign becomes the first house. Then the next sign after that becomes the second house, and the sign after that becomes the third house, and so on and so forth. So it's a really simple approach to house division, but I think you'll find it effective when studying eclipses because um, as the eclipses are moving through a specific sign for two years or so, you'll often see the topics associated with that house come into play for the entirety of that period. All right, so let's talk about the first set of house polarities, which is the first house and the seventh house. And the basic um, keywords or the basic polarity there is in our lives, in our personal lives, the difference in the interactions between our conceptualizations of ourself versus other people in our life that we're involved in in a close uh, interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. So the first house, as I was mentioning earlier, is the most personal house to us in the chart. And so it's the one that most represents who we are as a person. So sometimes with eclipses there, um, there can be, as mentioned earlier, there can be more of a spotlight on you for whatever reason. So you could get more recognition or attention at that time. Um, you could make a change in the first house areas, which can also have to do with appearance or your body. Um, or just kind of how you present yourself, which can be an identity change of various sorts. Um, and then the seventh house is partnership. So it is self and other, primarily personal or business partnership goes there. So marriage goes there, long-term relationship. Um, if you do any client work, a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions, those also tend to go there. Mm -hmm. So think of um, the first house and seventh house and the keywords for eclipses, if they're falling in your first and seventh house, is great beginnings and great endings with respect to uh, yourself and with respect to your relationships. So sometimes this can represent, um, for example, if eclipses are falling in your seventh house, like the start of a major new relationships, uh, or sometimes it can represent the ending or the culmination of a relationship that already exists. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, and I, I think that's one of the more reliable eclipse um, paths in the chart, first and seventh, because they're so prominent. And so oftentimes when I do see like clients, for instance, who have eclipses either already happening or coming up in their first and seventh, especially if they're not in a relationship yet, I always feel like it's a good plus sign in terms of the potential for meeting someone because it does so often happen. Right. And we had a funny like anecdote about that with whole sign houses from like 2008 when eclipses were falling in my seventh house. Right. Do you, you want to share it? No, you can go. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we met in the summer of 2008 when I founded this group and we started seeing each other and an eclipse fell right in my seventh house of relationships using whole sign houses at that time. And uh, I think you were still a little skeptical about uh, whole sign houses because in, in Placidus, it fell in my sixth house. Mm -hmm. And so what, what did I say? I mean, <laughs> I was just being kind of skeptical about which house it really was just astrologically. Right. And you were like, well, I mean, if you want the eclipse to be happening in my sixth instead of my seventh, but right. yeah, it turns out it seemed like it was more seventh in the long run. <laughs> yeah. So not to like proselytize whole sign yeah. houses like too, too much, but <laughs> that is, that was one of my, I think I won that argument yeah. like 10 years, 10 years later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just think about it in terms of the signs, because sometimes, even though it sounds really basic and it sounds overly simplistic, sometimes just um, an eclipse falling in the seventh sign relative to your rising sign means that seventh house topics might become more prominent in your life at that time for some reason. And there might be a great new beginning or there might be a great ending. So one thing I want to say, though, is I don't want to freak people out if they're like in a relationship already and they get worried that that means that a relationship will end during this time, because sometimes it just means, um, you know, in everybody's lives and everyone's relationships, we go through different phases. And sometimes it can just be the closing or the ending of one phase in a relationship and the opening up of a new phase in a relationship that will then last for a number of years. Mm hmm. Yeah. And since it's the seventh house and it being not just partnership, but your partner themselves, it can sometimes mean that your partner is having a major change in their life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the partnership has to end. Oh yeah. That's, that's huge. So actually. That's a yeah. huge point. Yeah. Like aside from the first house, the first house is the main house that refers to you in your chart, but the other 11 houses don't necessarily always have to do with you. Sometimes it refers to just other people in your life and things that are going on with them at that time. Mm -hmm. So if you have an eclipse in your seventh house, it may be that your partner, if you have a partner, is going through some major changes and they're the one that's having some major new beginning or ending at that time. If you have an eclipse taking place in your fifth house and you have children, it may be that there's some major changes happening in your children's lives at that time. If it's happening in your fourth house, it might be your parents. If it's your third house, your siblings, your 11th house, your friends, and so on and so forth. So instead of, sometimes people get tripped up because they um, they look back and they see an eclipse and then they don't remember anything significant happening at that point in their life. But then if you ask them about the person associated with that house, they'll say, oh yeah, I, they had a major change at that time in their life when they got married and then moved to a different country or their parents died at that time or their sibling um, got a major new job or something like that. Sometimes it doesn't have to do with you. It just has to do with um, other people in your life that you're close to in some way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good and or to think of when in any of the houses that involve other people in your life, which is a lot of them. 
Um, it can be a change going on with that person themselves. Um, and that change may or may not then in turn affect your relationship with that person. Right. So do you have a question? I mean, that's just, just like, is that, is that ever impactful? Like, there's... Um, it's not, I mean, it, it's still going to work the same way for you for the most part. I mean, if you have a stellium in a certain sign, then certainly if eclipses start happening in that sign, we know that those eclipses are probably going to be more important for you than they might be for somebody else. So that could be a way to identify which eclipses could be more important for you. Mm-hmm. But they can still be important either way, even if you have like no natal planets in that sign, because it still represents an area of life. Yeah. Um, and there's other ways that eclipses can be more or less important as well. It's probably too complicated for us to go into for the purpose of this. But for anybody that's familiar with the timing technique known as annual perfections, um, it's a really simple timing technique where you just start with the rising sign and whatever sign that is the ruler of that sign is activated for the first year of your life. Then when that first year is up, you move to the next sign downwards in zodiacal order, and the ruler of that sign becomes activated for the next year of your life. And you just keep counting forward one sign per year. So what happens is that in the years in your life, when the signs Cancer or Leo are activated by annual perfections, um, that means the sun and moon are activated in that year. And for that reason, uh, those years tend to be much more important for eclipses than other years in our lives. So if you use the annual perfections timing technique um, and you identify if you're in a Cancer or a Leo perfection year, that's usually going to tell you that that's going to be an important year for eclipses in your life, whereas other years, eclipses might come and go and not necessarily be as crucial as they could be. Right. So those are two major things to pay attention to as to whether the eclipses will be more important for you at a certain time, whether they're activated in that way or and or whether they're um, falling in your angular houses. Right. Um, some things some some people focus on like whether an eclipse falls very closely conjunct a natal planet. And I don't know that that's always necessarily like a crucial deciding factor in terms of whether an eclipse is going to be important necessarily. Yeah. I want it to be more reliable than I feel like I've observed it so far to be. Right. Yeah. It yeah. seems like it would make sense. But yeah, I mean, it seems like the house is more just the thing. Yeah. I think it just comes back to the idea that sometimes people focus on eclipses too much as being like exact timing things where a specific event is supposed to happen exactly on the eclipse. But instead, what it's doing is it's opening up a whole six month period of your life. Um, and looking at it more as like opening up a chapter in your life rather than always necessarily being a specific event. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, Obama getting elected in 2008 was certainly an event, but it was opening up like a chapter in his life that lasted for the next eight years of, of being in the presidency. Mm -hmm. Or um, when you and I met, for example, it opened up, there was an event in terms of me getting in a relationship with somebody else but it was opening up an entire what turned into like an 11 year chapter of my life at that time. So think about eclipses as opening up a new chapter in your life or sometimes closing a chapter in your life. And while that can sometimes coincide roughly with specific events, usually it's more of like a time period that it's opening up uh, in your life at that time. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that's first house, seventh house. Is there any other first house topics? I mean, first house as the self sometimes can be physical changes with your body and your physical vitality. So that can be like positive things. It can also be negative things like health issues. Other times it can be positive things like starting to take your health or your body more seriously in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, the first house, though, is not just the physical body, but it, it can also be the, the mental body as well. So sometimes it can be changes in terms of your personality or your personal psychological characteristics. And if there's things that you've wanted to change at different times in your life, sometimes eclipses falling in your first house can be a good time to um, open up a new phase with respect to just your character and your psyche in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, say that again. Uh, any eclipse falling in your first house or your seventh house? Okay. Sorry? Okay. Do you feel like sharing that story, like both sort of somewhat concisely, but also in more detail? Do you want to share it? Yeah, it was. Uh... Would you mind talking to that mic that's right next to you? Just so everybody can hear you. It was a guy that I was engaged to and cohabiting with, and we had not had any fights up to that point. Uh, there was an eclipse. I just looked it up on the chart. In Libra, three degrees and change. It was in 1987. And, uh, sorry, 97. And one day um, he came home, and I'm on my computer. There's only one computer in the house we shared. And he says, why are you spying on me? I turned around to look at him. He rushed over, grabbed me, flipped me around, did some jujitsu moves or whatever, slammed me to the ground, started smashing my head in, and then oh. strangled me into uh, unconsciousness. Wow. Wow. And then uh, something passed over him. I say that God saved me, but whatever happened, he decided to stop strangling me and go call 911 and turn himself in. So that's a first house eclipse that I never want to relive. <laughs> I yeah. might not get another chance. I'm already on my second life. So, um, what's your rising sign? Uh, Libra. It is Libra. Okay. Yes. And he was a seventh house person in many ways to my chart and in his life. It affected him as well. The same eclipse. Yeah. He's he an Aries. So, oh, he was an Aries. Okay. Yeah. So, and you would have been having eclipses then bouncing back between your first house of self and body and health and also your seventh house of relationships. So mm -hmm. you had, and that's an interesting example because then it would tie both of those first house topics where obviously you had a really traumatic physical experience that I'm sure you had to heal from, but mm -hmm. also just mentally and in terms of the sudden break with that relationship must have been hard in terms of readjusting like your sense of like selfhood as yes. well. And spirituality. Um, okay. after that, and I, I felt like I was born again or raised, uh, from the dead or however you want to look at it. Uh, there's certainly nothing I did to save myself at that point, but something passed over him and made him decide to go turn himself in okay. full confession on 911. So did he go to jail or what? Yeah. Okay. Five years. No, no bail, no parole. Okay. It was especially brutal. This whole side of my face was reconstructed. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that, but that's that's a really amazing example. Thank you for yeah, sharing. Yeah, sorry. That. I just yeah, first yeah. house. Yeah, yeah. It's very physical. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
Um, all right. So I think then, so that I think that sets a really good basis in terms of starting to understand what our approach is here and how we're going to do this. Does anybody else have any good examples that immediately spring to mind of in the past, either in the past or in the pr present with the current eclipse series, if they're falling in your first or seventh houses that spring to mind about major beginnings and major endings that took place in your life um, with the eclipses falling in your first or seventh houses? And it's okay if nobody does. I'm just curious if there's any more good examples so far. Is yeah, it like you have. Now or you mean the past um, it could either be now because since it started to happen, I know that there's some people that already can see those changes happening in their life. So if you have a present example, if Cancer or Capricorn is your first house, then that would be fine. Um, or if you've had an example in the past of them falling in your first and seventh house, that would be good as well. If you have one, then definitely if you want to speak into one of the mics. So right now I also have a, a 10th house cancer, but separately for the past on the seventh house, um, right after the eclipse in 2017 in Pisces, I um, went on a medical leave to go into a mental institution mm -hmm. from my job. So. And what, what's your rising sign? Um, rising signs Virgo. Okay. And so around those other eclipses were like when I was starting um, that job, I think, in the past. And mm -hmm. then right after the eclipse in Pisces was when I took my leave. Okay. So uh, Pisces and Virgo is your first house and seventh house. Mm -hmm. You're having eclipses at that time. And then what? So you started going through some like really serious emotional and like like existential stuff? crisis, essentially. Yeah, because okay. I was like crushing it at my job, getting all of this external validation, um, but just felt totally empty inside mm -hmm. and was like only focused on work, not seeing friends, not seeing family, not taking care of my health, like mentally, spiritually, just like completely bankrupt um, and not really sleeping. And then just one day like cracked and my neighbor took me to the hospital. Okay. So yeah. So that's tying in both of those things in terms of like physical exhaustion and like mm -hmm. pushing yourself too far, but also like mentally eventually pushing yourself so that there was a major crisis at that point. Yeah. Um, and that's actually sometimes a good keyword is like a, a crisis that occurs mm -hmm. in terms of things reaching um, like going as far as they can go or pushing something as far as it can go. And then there being like a turning point where something has to give or something has to change. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said that was in February of 2017? Um, it was right after, like within a, f a few days after. Okay. Yeah. Because I also noticed, I mean, that that makes sense in terms of tying in your first house. and But that also was one of those times where the signs were crossing. And so that was actually the last eclipse in Pisces. And it was starting off the same month the eclipses in Leo and Aquarius. And so those would have been your um, sixth and 12th, right? Are you thinking of that right? Um, yeah, well, I guess it depends on your house calculation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, because you did mention those keywords of like job and then also institutions, and those mm -hmm. are very like sixth and 12th. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of had the, the the sort of trifecta of like first house, sixth house, 12th house going on around that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what was the resolution or what ended up happening with it? I, I took a, a long leave from work and then um, ended up ultimately leaving my job. All well, got fired eventually because I just couldn't like 
it's like a bad going back to a bad relationship where it's just too much damage is done, you know? Um, and then ended up moving here. I was in LA. So like just completely rebuilt my life and like found Kundalini yoga, just totally changed my entire life. So it, was, it ended up being a positive thing, but it like wasn't a very painful way. <laughs> sure. So you ended up finding like other, um, both physical and sort of mental or spiritual practices that helped you to like pull things back together and then start a new phase in your life. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. That's a great example then. Mm -hmm. um, again, of it seems like there's two recurring themes here of just like a crisis or something that precipitates like a major change, but then kind of doing the work or doing what you can to get through it. And then eventually coming out the other side, oftentimes improved or having made progress from where you started. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank that you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Move on to second, eighth. Sure. Okay. So, um, second house, eighth house. So, if eclipses start falling in your second house, then of course they're going to be bouncing back and forth with your eighth house at the same time. Uh, the two basic keywords for second house and eighth house is uh, your money or your possessions, like that which you value or that which belongs to you, with the, which is the second house. Or the eighth house, which is um, that which belongs to other people, or the money or financial resources of other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So eclipses in your second house often have to do with changes in how you make a living um, or the amount of money that you make. It can be raises, it can be new jobs because of the source of income. Um, the eighth house can either, if you have a partner, again, similar to the seventh house, it can be your partner's money changing. So them having a change in either how they make their income or like an up or a down in terms of the amount that they bring in, particularly if it affects your own life, uh, like if you share any sort of um, expenses or live together. Um, it can also be um, sort of more abstract collective resources having to do with financial things going out rather than in. So like debts, taxes, loans, mortgages, those all go in the eighth house. Um, yeah, scholarships occasionally too, because it's the money of other people. So it's basically, they're both financial houses, but they're just distinguished by whether it's purely your own money or somehow linked to other people's money. Right. Um, and then another major eighth house topic is mortality and issues related to mortality. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can tie back into the financial topic in that it has to do with inheritance. So sometimes having a major eclipses in your eighth house can have to do with both the issues of having some sort of mortality issue come up in your life or having some sort of death, but also oftentimes you'll see um, issues pertaining to like the money or the finances of those who have passed away and what to do with them after that point coming into play at that time. And that's often how the eighth house then gets tied in with the second house in that it's affecting both at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, any other major keywords or topics for second house, eighth house? I think those are the main ones really. Okay. Yeah. Um, so does anybody have any good examples or can anybody think of any examples in your life um, so far in the past or even in the present, if Cancer and Capricorn are your second house or your eighth house, where that's either coming into play or starting to come into play at the present time or um, came into play at some time in the past when it was falling in your second or eighth houses? You had one? Oh, you have one? Uh, so in January, February last year, 2018, 
um, I had a death of a woman that I considered like a second mother to me. What's your, what's your rising sign real quick? I'm a cancer rising. Okay. So it was in my eighth house. Um, and I just looked at the next eclipse that happened there and it was in cancer Mm -hmm. and that death (laughs) actually affected me in my first house. Um, because it really changed who I was and how I felt about myself and like it kind of, I went through some type of crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, Who was it that passed wise. away? Um, she was like, she's one of my best friends um, that I had known for 20 plus years, but she was a lot older than me. And I grew up in her house. I met her when I was like 14 and she was like very influential to me and my best friends. And um, she just, she was like a second mother, mm-hmm. like a, um, friend, mother, but she was extremely important to me. And, um, it really, her death caused a bunch of like inner turmoil and like searching and everything. So it really changed the core of who I was. So I, I see that as pretty influential, especially with eighth house didn't necessarily go to second house, but, um, did affect first. So it's one of those off. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So when there's the eclipse that happened in Aquarius, which is your eighth house. Mm -hmm. And that was when your friend passed away. Yeah. She actually committed suicide. So, okay. She, it was, and the turmoil surrounding that and why, and all of that really led to the questioning and searching. Right, because then not long after that, the eclipses would have shifted into into Cancer and Capricorn and into your first house, seventh house axis. Mm-hmm. So what were you, I mean, what was your process or what were you struggling with at that time that started making you have, obviously you're reflecting on that, but what were you struggling with with respect to that? Or how did it change you so far in terms of your sense of self? Um, so it changed my whole viewpoint on like, because she had just gotten so many good things in her life going on Mm -hmm. that she hadn't had in the past. And it made me question like, what is the meaning of all this? If you have everything that you have and you're still miserable, then why, why does this happen? So I started actually going um, into a deep spiritual kind of re-evaluation and um got into astrology and got into everything so that's kind of what set everything off and now i have a lot more basis Mm -hmm. for where i think things happen and um why good Mm -hmm. that's good i mean it's and it's nice because we're like right in the middle of the cancer um capricorn eclipse series and we still have what another year of them Um, and sometimes it's hard for people to see the changes that they're going through when they're in the middle of it, but it's good that you already kind of see and have a sense for how that's working out for you and and what you need to do to, to try to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to comment on one more aspect of, um, what it sounded like that was for you with the eighth house eclipse, which is that, um, you know, we did mention mortality with the eighth house, the one signification we didn't touch on, but that sounded like resonant of was things that kind of make you go deep into yourself psychologically or psychological turmoil. Oftentimes people who like 
you know, um, go into like depth psychology, whether it's temporarily for a specific event like that, or sort of more permanently, like for a career or something, they often have things in the eighth house. And so that, yeah, that was a good example of that as well. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to comment about this because right now the Pluto is talking Capricorn and it's opposing all the points for cancer people. For example, it's opposing mine. MC, Sun, Venus, Mars, and now it's going to be in a square, which is square with my moon and Saturn. So I wonder how much is it's eclipses and how much it is from the Pluto opposing this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and there's so much crossover right now, as we mentioned earlier, you know, it won't be only the eclipses happening in isolation, but in particular, I'm actually really feeling because the next eclipse is happening in three days. And that's actually the one that's like with Saturn and Pluto. And I'm kind of feeling that vibe here of our conversation so far, you know, um, because that's the eclipse that happens right next to Pluto. So yeah, they especially the ones in Capricorn really tie all of that together for sure. Yeah, and it's hard to dis disentangle like the eclipses happening right now in Cancer and Capricorn from the fact that Saturn and Pluto are going through Capricorn at the same exact time. And and in some ways, we're almost kind of by isolating just the eclipses, you're trying to we're almost do, we're simpli oversimplifying it and doing it injustice. But it's still useful as an access point to try to start seeing some of the similarities for different people in different houses when eclipses start falling in those two houses. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that does add to it, uh, having Saturn going through there and Pluto going through it there at the same time. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. That's a, all in all my client sessions for the past while I've been really like highlighting the Capricorn house just because there's so much going on there. Yeah. Um, and I meant to say to the last person, since some of this stuff is happening also in your seventh house, that to whatever extent you can, sometimes reaching out to other people or trying to establish new relationships with other people, while that might be one of the most difficult things at this time, it might be part of the thing that could be useful or constructive in order to balance out some of the first house things that you're going through. Um, so sometimes that means like just establishing new one-on-one -on -one relationships in your life. Other times it can mean like talking to somebody or sometimes even some, somebody playing the role of like a counselor in your life that you can go to and pr to process some of those things uh, can be a good seventh house uh, manifestation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, does anybody else have any good second house? You've got one? Okay. This is actually quite synchronistic. Um, I was a college professor for 20 years and I left that I left that career. So second house is changing careers and income, right? Well, that's where I am. Um, and it actually happened in May is when I left, but July here is when it's coming to a head, right? And I have to kind of move on to something else. What's your so rising sign again? Sagittarius. Okay, so you have Sagittarius rising. So Capricorn's your second house and um, Cancer is your eighth house. Mm -hmm. And so you worked as a university professor for 20 years? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what precipitated like changing jobs or quitting at this time? Pursuing astrology. 
Okay. (laughs) Amongst other things, Reiki, tarot, you know, that kind of thing. So you're quitting basically what was your your day job for 20 years and the thing that, you know, you made your income from to support your life and make your basic daily necessities in order to go out on a completely different, like, venture for financial and material support. Exactly. Okay. And I'm sure that's kind of um, a little bit scary Scary or Uh, uncertain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. and but it's something that you've been wanting to do or like thinking of doing for a while. Oh, I've been wanting to leave that career for quite some time, um, several years at least. But I didn't know what else to do, so to speak. Okay. Um, but my fiance and I started up a business together in this kind of thing, and so it gave it. But it's coming to a point where that's kind of shifting, which was a which was a question I had as well, actually, with this and looking at the natal charts for ourselves. But we could also do this for businesses, for relationships that have a start date. Correct, more yeah. or less. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 For sure. Um, and yeah. could you, you said something really briefly, but that's actually super crucial because it ties into your eighth house. You said you're starting a, you started a business with your partner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just you going out on yourself, but there's an interplay between that's your right. finances and your partner's finances. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good point. Um, so the eighth house you said was other people's resources, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she put in her notice for a job that she's had for 11 years. She put that in a few weeks ago. It was between the two eclipses. I know that mm-hmm. like, um, last Sunday, I think. And, okay. So we're both pulling up and moving to Fort Collins in October and neither of us have jobs or a place to live up there. So we're getting there. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So that shows both of those income changes Mm -hmm. for both of you in your second and then in your eighth. And so this is, I don't have, I I just changed the chart to your rising sign, which you said is Sagittarius, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, So this, everybody just shows you like the houses that the eclipses are falling in in his chart, which is like the second whole sign house, which is Capricorn and the eighth whole sign house, which is cancer. Um, and that's really amazing because it's not just a change in terms of your finances, but of course, when we're talking about the eighth house being other people's money or the partner's finances, it's because the eighth house is the second house relative to the seventh house. Mm-hmm. So if the seventh house is the partner, the, the eighth house is the partner's second house of finances. So, and this is just a brilliant example of Mm -hmm. both your finances changing with the second house, but also your partner's finances changing and being involved in that with the eighth house. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I don't think we're going to top that. So I almost want to like just move (laughs) on. That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Because those are both really good examples. Um, Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. So the next set of houses or the next polarity is the third house and the ninth house. What are some of our keywords for third house and ninth house? So third house and ninth house have a lot of overlap and significations. One of them is travel, although short term, short distance travel tends to be the third house or more routine travel. And the ninth house tends to be longer distance travel or sort of more um, personally meaningful long distance travel can be the ninth house. But both of them can be travel houses. Also, teaching and learning and studying both go in the third and the ninth. There's quite a bit of overlap between those two. When you talk about actual schooling, the third house tends to get signified by um, elementary schools, younger children, versus the ninth house being more like higher education, universities. Um, But the general topic of learning and studying and teaching can be third and ninth. The third is also siblings. And so eclipses in the third can be um, changes with your siblings, not necessarily only your relationship with your siblings. Um, what other things am I missing? Didn't, we had a great example earlier this year where somebody had Uranus or something going through their third house and they decided to quit their job and like travel the country with their sibling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. a really great example. Yeah. Because it brought in both the third house travel themes, because I think they were like driving around everywhere and living in their car, but it was also like something they were doing with their sibling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Cars, I think cars often go in the third house. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Ninth house, also religion, philosophy, astrology goes there, even sometimes political views, anything that are like big picture, how we make meaning of our lives or the, the, the world around us goes in the ninth house. Yeah. Um, one of the main keywords in the polarity that I often use for the third and the ninth is um, that which you know or that which you've learned versus uh, how you communicate what you know and how you uh, bring it out into the world. So that's, that's part of the basic dynamic and the fundamental polarity that crosses back and forth and bounces back and forth and that there's pieces of in each of those houses. So the third house especially has to do with communication and how you communicate and how you write or speak. Uh, and the ninth house especially is tied in with education and learning and just the process of learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are major topics and themes that can come up at that time. Uh, there's some interplay between the two of them because like, for example, the ninth house sometimes represents publishing mm -hmm. and the third house sometimes can represent uh, education, especially lower education, like when you're in elementary school or things like that versus the ninth house can sometimes represent college and higher education. Mm -hmm. um, finally, really concrete manifestations, as you always said, third house is like short distance travel or travel within your city versus the ninth house as being foreign travel to different countries or just taking really long journeys. Mm -hmm. Or places you don't go often that are far away. Yeah. And the ninth house then sometimes gets extended to um, that which is foreign or foreigners in general, people that come from a different uh, cultural or sometimes even religious or philosophical background for, from you and your exposure to them and the way that it affects or changes your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cross-cultural experiences, even if you're not personally traveling, I've sometimes seen with ninth house things. Um, so sometimes it's those people coming to you and you learning something new from them. Yeah, and finally, the third house can also represent not just your siblings, but sometimes other extended family like aunts and uncles and cousins, cousins and things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, assorted relatives go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which it's like for some people that's not a big deal or that's not a big topic in their life whereas for other people that's a major topic in their life and their cousins or aunts or uncles or what have you play a major role in their life that's one of the tricky things about astrology is it's all relative to each person and for some people some of these topics are going to be crucial topics in your life depending on how your birth chart is set up and for other people those topics may not be very significant in your life if that's not a major factor or a major area of your chart. Mm -hmm. So that definitely goes into comes into play here in terms of how the birth chart is initially set up and what what the eclipses are activating in terms of that. Like what do the eclipses have to work with? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, can anybody think of any current changes in your life in the third house, ninth house axis, or any past instances of eclipse falling in your third or ninth, especially whole sign houses, um, and major changes with those topics in your life, like beginnings or endings that coincided with that? No? Anybody? Do you have any good ones? I have a good generic one, although I don't like okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but when I had um, the Eclipse series in my ninth house, um, 
I went overseas for one of the only, I hadn't traveled overseas very often. And I was, um, during the time of that eclipse, I was overseas. I was, um, partially funded by a religious scholarship. And I was there working and volunteering with a different sort of quasi-religious group. So it was like several different ninth house themes. And that was during the eclipse series in my ninth house. Right. Yeah. And then, so you're traveling in a foreign country, you're working in a foreign country, partially funded by a religious organization. Mm -hmm. And then like a major event also occurred around that time in a foreign country, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but it was, it was just funny how many, there were like several different ninth house boxes ticked there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you don't want, do you want to go into that more? No. Okay, that's <laughs> uh, so yeah. So that's a good example of sometimes just something happening um, involving foreigners or a foreign country or one's philosophical or religious beliefs. I've seen somewhere mm-hmm. it's like major changes in one's religion where I've seen people um quit like an entire religious belief that they'd had their entire life up to that point and go through like a spiritual or religious transformation where maybe they went from one religion to another or they decided to stop being religious altogether. Um, Other people, the ninth house also has to do with astrology um, and just other beliefs or other, um, not not beliefs, but practices like that. So that can sometimes include like metaphysical uh, studies. Right. Divination can sometimes be given to the ninth house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sometimes people starting to do astrology, um, although that house is funny because sometimes if there's negative indications for that house, it can mean I've seen, um, skeptics that have like Saturn in the ninth house Mm -hmm. and they like stopped believing in astrology at that time, which ironically is like when the astrology said that they would stop believing in it. Right. Uh, Yeah. Right. Because the ninth house, I mean, even the absence, you know, even atheism or even skepticism or things like that, those are, you know, worldviews. And so that still goes to the ninth house, even if it's like a negating of a worldview or like your worldview is that there is nothing there. That's still something going on with the ninth house. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you have a question or example? Yeah. Would that um, also pertain to Sagittarius as a sign, like all of their things? Because I know that... Um, Right. Yeah. I mean, there's some overlap because like Jupiter is the ruler of Sagittarius has some of the same themes and some of the same significations that it brings into that sign in terms of like uh, education or foreign experiences and things like that or religious experiences and philosophy. Um, So there's definitely some overlap with the sign of Sagittarius, but it's not like a complete one to one correspondence between the ninth house and Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. Is that what you were asking? Yeah. Okay. Um, any other third house, ninth house examples that people can remember? Yeah. Good one? Looking, looking at your uh, list of eclipses here, last time it was in um, Gemini Sag, which is my third house, ninth house. Um, that was when I was in college and I did dump my religion that I grew up with. Okay. What's okay. your rising sign? Do you feel like sharing that story in detail? Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, so let me let me set it up. So what what when you grew up, what what religion or do you feel like saying going no, to specifics? Fine. Okay, yeah. What, so what I grew up very you... conservative Christian. Okay, and my family still is very conservative Christian. And when I went to college, um, religion just kind of didn't make sense to me. I tried to go to church. I tried to find what I was supposed to find in Christianity, and I never it never clicked. Hmm. So um, 
I really was afraid of going to hell because, you know, when you are brought up to in this religion, that's what the consequence is if you leave is you're going to go to hell. So um, eventually I took a class in college, which I think just from looking at the, the dates, it was probably about the time the eclipses were happening in the third and ninth house okay. for me. Um, and I took an anthropology class and we learned how religion evolved over time. And it was like the light bulb went on and, oh, so religion is a creation of people and it's not the end all be all. So therefore I'm not going to hell. So they're up, therefore I'm okay. Well, and that was kind of the, and that was a really big shift in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, what was your rising sign again? Libra. Okay. Um, and what um, what was your educational background up to that point before you went to college? Like, did you go to normal school or were you like homeschooled or anything like that? No, it was okay. just regular school. Sure. But, you know, we, we went to church every Sunday. We mm -hmm. did the Sunday school thing. I was confirmed in junior high and that whole bit. So, and then was that like a process or was that like an overnight thing for you? Well, the it was definitely a process. Sure you know, going through the class. And then, you know, the, I think the aha moment was the realization that, oh, okay, wait a minute. All right. I'm, I'm going to be okay. This is fine. But it did begin a long process of me having to make a new relationship with religion because my family still is very religious. So years later, I had to go to therapy. I'd have to look at, look at the dates again to find out when I was in therapy to, <laughs> to be able to deal better with all of that. Mm. But mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, that makes sense. So, and that's another good example in terms of there being like, obviously like a triggering event sometimes, but then it being the actual change being a process that takes place mm -hmm. over the course of several months and not necessarily being something that happens entirely like overnight. Yeah. It was probably, um, more like a 10 or 15 year process of getting, I mean, I got over the religion for me personally right away, but it was hard to deal with my family okay. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Sure. And it was maybe, I don't know, eight or ten, six or eight years ago, maybe that I went through the therapy and now I'm, now I'm good with the family. Like we're, we're all good now. Sure. <laughs> I still don't go to church with them, but, but it's okay. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because then at some point you must've gotten into other things. Like you're at, you're at an astrology meeting now, for example. Mm -hmm. So yes. like, when did that come into play or when did you start studying things like that? Um, that was early 2000s. Okay. Um, yeah, well, that might be interesting to see at some point. Yeah, I'd have to uh, go look and see what was going on then. For yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that thank great. you. All right. Um, does anybody else, can anybody else think of any good third house, ninth house examples that have happened in your life so far in the past that touch on any of those topics? No? Okay. Um, that's all right. Uh, one of the things usually like after these meetings, we'll get like five or six people that are write us afterwards saying that they were driving home and they realized like right. 20 <laughs> topics that came up and how it connected with their life. Yeah. But sometimes it's a little hard to think of it on the spot. Right. All right. So should we move to the next one? Yeah. Fourth 10. Okay. So fourth house and 10th houses, when eclipses are falling in those houses in your chart, um, the two major topics are career versus your home and living situation as really primary things. Or more broadly, you could think of the 10th house as your public life, which is often tied in with your career and your reputation, versus the fourth house as your private life and your home and your roots and your sense of like where you come from and where you're grounded in your life. 
Mm -hmm. So fourth 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 house eclipses can um, bring changes with regard to your actual physical living situation, your house, your apartment, what have you. You can move. Sometimes people move during eclipses there. Um, It can also have to do with your parents specifically or your family in general, um, either or. And then finally, um, as you mentioned, roots, it can be like things more abstractly with regard to your ancestry, genealogy. Sometimes people I've seen like people find like family members that they weren't aware of when there's stuff going on in their fourth. Um, So basically, yeah, home and family are the big categories, but there can be some of those specifics within that. Right. Like changes happening with your family. Yeah. Yeah. Changes happening with your family or between you and your family either or. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, the 10th house can also represent not just your career, but your overall sense of your life direction and where you're headed with your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, careers, 10th house is, is um, a little more straightforward than a lot of houses. I mean, so much can just be your career or where you work, or sometimes your supervisor, your boss can be your 10th house. Um, it can also be your sort of public role in life. And that can be like a non-paid public role if you have other public roles that you uh, that you have in your community or, or what have you. Um, and sometimes kind of like how you're seen publicly. So sometimes a change of status can be either first house or 10th house. Like if you're married or divorced, that kind of um, thing can also have some impact on your 10th house because it's how you're seen publicly. Right. Um, yeah. Does anyone have any good fourth house, 10th house examples? Uh, you have one? Having moving guards in there. Yeah. Cancer on the 10th, that's one of the four. Okay. And just when the best parts of my career, the engineering, happened during the time all day long. Cancer on the 10th, that's 92. 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 Cancer on the 10th, Cancer on the 10th, Capricorn on the 4th, so it's a 4th, 10th thing. And June of 92, I got the best job probably of my entire career of engineering. And I was uh, in charge of the engineering department in Bell South Mobility in Atlanta. And I was in charge of not only the whole state, but also for the Olympics. Wow. So it was I got to work with the International Olympic Committee and all kinds of stuff. It was fun. That was probably the highlight of my career. And then in uh, 2000, same uh, hilarity of eclipses, Mm -hmm. I uh, got engaged to my husband. and We got married shortly thereafter. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, both. Yeah, your home life. That's a really good example. So, um, yeah, having a major career change and then it was something – that you you got the job and you got what you said was the best job, but then it was something that lasted for a number of years after that point. Okay, that's nice. good. That's yeah, really that's good a great example. example. Yeah, I saw uh, another one. There's one. There's one. Yeah, uh, I'm also a labor rising. Apparently, we're representing at this meeting today. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so last August, I moved back in with my mom, and then I picked up a new job early January. I also worked a seasonal job, so I was working about 50 to 60 hours a week and going to school full-time. This kind of came to a head where I finally realized um, working so much was impacting my home life. I take care of a bunch of animals, uh, horses, chickens, dogs, cats, little zoo. Uh, So I finally 
had to put in my two weeks to this job. I'm not going back to my seasonal job and I'm kind of catching up on six months worth of like foregone projects at my home. Uh, my mom is also being deployed at the end of July. So I'm going to be the only person at the house taking care of everything for the next about six months or so. Wow. So. She's being deployed? Yes. Uh, in like the military? Uh, yes. Okay. So. so you'll be in charge of running things at home? Yep. Every last thing. It's going to be, that's going to be a full-time job in of itself, which is why I kind of had to quit uh, everything I was doing. Wow. And yeah. all of this started, you said, last last summer, basically? So I moved in with her last August, but I didn't pick up a new job until the end of December. Okay. And then I also picked up a seasonal job and then school full-time. So, so that, I mean, that's perfect because it goes back to, there's like a debate about whether the first eclipse that happened last summer, was that cancer? cancer. It was cancer, yeah. Yeah, it was because it was like just barely part of the moon passed over part of the sun. So it was a very, very partial eclipse in Cancer. And there's a debate with some astrologers about whether that counted or whether it was even an eclipse yet. I, I was more on the side of like that counts. Yeah, me too. And that it's going to start the Cancer Capricorn eclipse series. And even though it might be the might not be the most intense part, which is more happening now that it's getting close to total eclipses, that we would still see the opening phase of the sequence of events in some people's lives. And it sounds like that was definitely the case with you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm also a Cancer Sun, um, opposite Uranus and Neptune conjunction in the fourth. Uh, and going back to kind of like the death theme we kind of have tonight, I also, a lot of my animals um, have gotten sick really suddenly, uh, and I haven't been able to spend as much time with them, which has kind of also impacted uh, everything. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that really also ties in that idea of sometimes that we were talking about earlier through the, uh, the examples of like pushing things really far, almost like um, sometimes a, a full moon which, or a lunar eclipse, which is just a supercharged full moon. It's when the moon gets its brightest, but it's also like as far away from the sun as it can get. And it's almost like pulling a rubber band as far as it can go where you can't go any further. And then you reach that that crisis or that turning point where something has to give or something has to change. Um, so it sounds like you, you've you run into that similar theme of like pushing things really far and then there being a crisis or a turning point where you then have to like reorient or recalibrate things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yes, yeah. All right. That's a great That's a great example. Thank yeah, you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And um, that's that's so great also just to show how they bounce back and forth and how, you know, the opposing houses can affect each other, especially during the eclipses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um and tying in those polarities. Mm -hmm. Um one of the things I wanted to clarify both for this and for the recording and I wanted to I wanted to just reflect on for a second is notice the way that we're doing this is as like a dialogue with the person we're talking to. And that's very much like what an astrological consultation is supposed to be and often is. It's like you could sometimes talk as the astrologer if you're sitting down with a client, like at a person, and you can say, well, it's supposed, it could mean this, this, and this, but that's not always as useful. And oftentimes it's far more effective to have a dialogue with a person where you go back and forth and understand the context of their life and in understanding the context of a person's life and helping them to draw out and understand how the astrology is tying into the events in their, their life as part of like a, a, a mutual understanding or something that you're both involved in and working towards or working at, mm -hmm. 
that's like a, a really effective way or a far more effective way to have consultations than just like speaking at a person. Yeah, for sure. Because you can kind of lay the groundwork as to this is the general area and some of the main topics it can pertain to. But then oftentimes that'll spark an idea from the other person, which will in turn spark an idea from you as to what how things are playing out in the astrology and back and forth. Right. Which then ironically sort of is similar to the eclipse thing itself, right. <laughs> which is like a bouncing back and forth between one thing and its and its opposite. Yeah. And also frequently specific man manifestations you might not have ever thought up on your own. People will tell you if you sort of like give the little intro and then, you know, you you both can have new insights around that. Yeah, cuz your job is to try to explain the archetype or something as close as you can to what the overlying archetype is and then oftentimes they'll end up filling in the specific manifestation and you sort of go from there. Mhm. Mm uh, I think, hold on, Joseph had a question first. Actually, I had another example. You've got one? Okay. Yeah, I've got okay. okay, yeah. Do you want to come share it? Okay, okay. Come to this one because it's a little taller. Sure. <laughs> um, so I'm also Libra rising. <laughs> okay. All the Libra <laughs> risings. Come on up. Um, so 2009 was the first set of Capricorn and Cancer eclipses that summer. And, um, you know, that year I was doing a lot of music and like doing a lot of performing and, uh, I ended up starting to go to college for graphic design. And, um, that following year, 2010, we had the second set of eclipses, which kind of triggered me, um, looking for, uh, new jobs in the career I was taking or, you know, the field I was studying graphic design, uh, programming, that kind of thing. And, uh, uh, 2010 is when I finally, you know, got a good job interview and, uh, started, um, I, I basically got hired for, uh, graphic design, uh, as basically, you know, while I was still in school. And so I ended up dropping out of school for the career because it was a full-time thing. And that started, you know, in 2011, you know, uh, I started work January 7th and the, the Capricorn eclipse happened there, um, uh, January 4th. And that kind of started a, a series of things where I wasn't, you know, staying home a lot. I was kind of trying to find my independence and, um, I was, it was the most money I ever made. It was a great opportunity. Um, and I really loved the job. And then we go on to like, um, uh, where were we at here? Well, let's just go ahead and skip into the most recent ones. Um, cause uh, I think there was a, a 2014, 2013, 2015. That would have been no. in like the first and seventh houses. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's skip those ones. Okay. So recently, um, the past set of uh, eclipses, um, kind of like our, it's like a string of pearls where, um, you know, this, this earlier this January, um, we had, uh, the eclipse falling. I believe it was in, in Capricorn, was it? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That was the first Capricorn okay. one. Yeah. So a few days after that eclipse, um, my father, um, ended up, uh, getting pretty ill. Uh, okay. He has leukemia and it was kind of like a surprise to us. And um, right around that time, I also uh, got a raise with my, with my job. I get to work from home as a graphic designer too. So I don't know if that adds that theme, but um, you know, now it's now that these eclipses are coming again, um, I find myself getting another raise. I'm doing other types of jobs, like working with different groups and that kind of thing. And um uh, some things concluding with, with the home and family, like I'm getting more support from my family, uh, that kind of thing. But I'm also wanting to like change my career right now. Um, you know, I want to get back into music like I was doing 
nine years ago, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm kind of just starting to strive for things like that. Um, or I'm actually going to be um, auditioning for, you know, America's Got Talent later this this December. I want to do music again, really seriously. I started writing again. And, you know, um, so there's a lot going on with, you know, the home and family, with, you know, my father, uh, work, you know, um, and where I really want to be and like where I want to take my life direction and uh, where, you know, I, I want to be seen or noticed, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like those keywords of like major beginnings and major endings are really taking place in both of those areas of your life in the fourth house and the 10th house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of a lot of career changes and a lot of um, uh, mainly ups with careers. And then like, you know, obviously like with the father being Saturnian, you know, Capricorn energy uh, and that stellium of, of Saturn Pluto. Um, and then soon Jupiter in, in that house, which is really interesting because, you know, I have a cancer midheaven and, you know, this upcoming eclipse is falling on my IC. So uh, I'm, I'm expecting some things going on with the home and family and um, maybe stuff going on with my landlord. Not entirely certain. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's a really great example. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you. That was like a whole list of things that are fourth and 10th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, I think that's good for the fourth and the 10th house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to the fifth and the 11th. Do the last two sets of polarities before we run out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fifth house, 11th house, two of the major like external in terms of people in your life, topics that always come up with those two houses. Is the fifth house relating to children or the general topic of children in general, whether your own or just like younger people, younger children in your life in general, if there are any? and the 11th house pertaining to friends, uh, groups, and alliances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some more. So fifth is is very focused on children. Um, if you're, as you said, either children around you, your own children trying to have children, so pregnancy, conception, all of those things go in the fifth house. Um, sexuality goes there for sort of similar tied-in reasons. Um, also things that you just do for fun. So fifth house is recreation. It's also creative um, expression. So often when people are creating artistic things, um, whether that's painting or music or whatever, there'll be something going on with the fifth house. Um, I think those are the main areas of the fifth house. I miss any. Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I mean, that's yeah, primarily it. I think it's mainly those. Um, so this, especially for the current eclipse series, which I should have been saying all the, the entire time, but we we're sort of doing incidentally, but this will mm-hmm. be especially like Virgo risings. Uh, where Capricorn is your fifth whole sign house and Cancer is your 11th house. Uh, And then Pisces Risings as well, where it's the reverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then 11th house topics, um, friends, groups, associations. So whether that's personal friends that are sort of informal friends to you, it can also be sort of more formalized networks of people or um, your social sphere. So that can be professional organizations, um, any sort of groups of any sort that you belong to, whether recreational or professional. Um, Sometimes I see the internet go in the 11th house because it's a sort of a broad abstract network of people or a social sphere, especially social media, I guess I would say, because that's networks of people you know. other things I'm missing. I mean, something your groups, sometimes we've seen astrologers and things like an astrology group or getting involved in a local astrology group can be an example of like an 11th house thing. Mm-hmm. Or we've had some younger friends that have like 11th house stuff being activated in their chart and going to their first astrology conference. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. Right. Because that can re represent either, um, you know, long time ongoing groups or ongoing friendships, or it can be just more of a one off or, a you know, like you go to this big group gathering for a certain period of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, can anybody think of any current or past examples of having eclipses in your fifth or 11th houses and how that's worked out in your life so far? No examples? You have one? <laughs> I guess this isn't really um, as drastic as a lot of other people's. <laughs> sure. But um, so, and this isn't going off of the whole sign system. This That's is Placidus. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I have cancer in my fifth house. Mm -hmm. And um, recently I just decided I was like focusing way too much on my business I needed to, I was like completely neglecting my social groups. And um, I decided to just kind of like step out of that <laughs> and reach out to all my friends. And I actually wasn't really aware of it at the time, but that's like around the time that the solar eclipse was happening. So, um, and this is my first astrology meetup. So, wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like friends and groups suddenly yeah. becoming and that's funny because those, those are sort of like independent things right yeah it's not necessarily something you're doing deliberately but both of those almost 11th and 5th house topics just arose nat naturally from within you at this time yeah I was getting to a point where I was getting I was very very serious I was going home from my full-time job and then I was working on my business and it was getting to the point where I was just not seeing any of my friends and I was getting really depressed and um, and I just had this shift where I was like I'm not doing that like I need to talk to my friends I need to socialize I need to get back into groups and so I started hanging out with communities that I used to hang out with and just kind of reaching out to people and that's where I am right now sure so. um, and that brings in a, another fifth house topic which is just like leisure activities or like that which a person does for leisure or just to like to have fun in right. their life sometimes, right. um, which like sounds like a weird blow off topic to like assign an entire house to, but sometimes that can be like a really crucial factor in people's lives, especially when you push yourself like too far and realize that you have like a deficiency of that in your mm -hmm. life at some point. Yeah, that's what it was. I was like, I need to have fun. <laughs> <All right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and what is your rising sign just out of curiosity? Aquarius. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, cool. That's a really good example. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, I think that's also a really um, good example of like why it's important to pay attention to all these different house meetings because we're sort of culturally programmed to think that some topics are more important than others or that we should focus most of our life energy on. But, you know, anything that can happen in life or anything you can focus on in life is represented somewhere in the chart. Um, and so it's nice to see how these get activated and that those are, those can be like more important, especially at certain times in one's life. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, like I said, if you're overlooking or if something's being suppressed or like withheld and sometimes that being the crisis that you reach you, when you realize that that thing that otherwise seems like an, an unimportant topic, that it's deficiency is like causing a major crisis in your life for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's a really good example. So does anybody else have a good uh, fifth house or 11th house example that you can think of either currently or in your life in the past? Nope. Okay. Do you have one, Lisa? Um, I was just trying to quickly see if I had one or not. I don't, okay. I don't quite yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. 
I do have Capricorn in my career, um, but no planets. And so I'm just curious about, like, generally, that just seems like a bummer combination, like Capricorn and Capricorn. <laughs> and so I'm trying to like, pay attention to what, what like, is it about getting more serious and getting more structure around the things I do creatively and fun? Or, like, I'm just trying to understand how the eclipse would tweak that house in, for better or worse. Sure. Um, more specifically, so can you say a few more words about it? Um, yeah, I mean, even if you don't have planets in a house, what you'd want to do is look at where the ruler of that house is located in the chart. So where is Saturn, for example, is the ruler of your fifth house as describing the way that fifth house topics are manifested in your life? And that's often, if you're just looking at the natal chart itself, would be your starting point for understanding how fifth house topics work out for you. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the dynamics that are likely to arise. And then the eclipses often will just act as um, triggers that will activate the manifestation of some of those topics that were lying there dormant in the birth chart. Mm -hmm. And it just means, it, you know, it doesn't negate that you have, you know, any sort of fifth house feelings. It just um, makes them a little more serious if it's, you know, if you have Saturn in or ruling the fifth house. And so I've seen people... Um, Sometimes it it also makes things more concrete. So sometimes people want to make like concrete, actual finished works of art or something like that, or you know, creative pursuits when they and they actually take it more seriously. So that doesn't actually have to be a bad thing because it can mean that you take it seriously enough to create something out of it. Yeah, or sometimes like giving structure and doing fifth house activities, but doing it in a structured way. Like I think one of my favorite Virgo rising. Um, Capricorn fifth house examples, if I'm remembering correctly, is actually Tiger Woods, mm -hmm. who um, has taken what is a game, like a leisure activity, mm -hmm. like golf, which some people, a lot of people just do to blow off steam. And that's like his career that he's right. excelled and become like the top golfer in the world at different points in his life through, um, you know, training himself since he was very young to be the best golfer in the world. Right. So that's like an extreme example, but that's like a fifth house Saturn Capricorn example that comes to mind for me. Yeah, it's like that. It's basically you take it seriously enough to make something out of it rather than have maybe more of the one-off experiences of going out and having fun. You you take something of that fifth house topic, at least one topic in there and like keep working on it and sometimes excel in it. Therefore, um, I've seen another example of um, someone who was really serious about like investing speculation, which is very like Capricornian. It's very like business-like, but the fifth house can be speculation. It's things that, you know, you do for chance or that, you know, aren't guaranteed, you know, gambling goes there. So um, that was like one of my favorite, like, oh, I never would have thought of that manifestation uh, kind of um, conversations. Right. Yeah. Okay. Was there another question? There was, I think you sort of answered it. Um, I also have Capricorn house and I was like, Looking at the dates of July 7th, July 9th, Capricorn eclipse, and I got very eclipsed, and I thought, yeah. but I guess, but it was wrong, so it was like <laughs> taking dating really seriously. <laughs> how, did, <laughs> yeah. how, how long had you, seriously. and then, how long had, when had you met, or how, or actually, would you mind coming to the mic, because yeah, that's a good example? Like, I'm trying to figure out, so. All right, so we have to hear the eloped story like first before you go on to <laughs> the other thing. Yeah, so this was someone who was like a love at first sight kind of thing when I was 16. And then we 
got separated for five years. This is before social media. So like no way to contact each other. Really randomly came back into each other's lives five years later um, through a crazy series of events. And then within six months, we eloped in Hawaii. And I moved to Hawaii after college. Um, and you but, said that you got married, you eloped within like a day or two of the eclipse. The day before the Capricorn eclipse. And I have Capricorn in my fifth. And then we filed for divorce November 9th, 2012, a few days before a Scorpio eclipse. And then we I could remarry May 10th, 2013 during a Taurus eclipse. And, th- and that was like to the day as well. Okay. So you're really... <laughs> For some reason, your relationships with that person in particular are like hugely tied into eclipses. Apparently. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out because like the houses don't exactly, you know, right. correlate. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have any. Um, well, I mean, I'm curious about like your synastry and like what his chart looks like. And if you have something like in your uh, composite chart or something that's like making eclipses um not just important for you, but important for both of you or the relationship in general, or maybe like the first meeting chart or something like that. Mm -hmm. You did mention with when eloping that you said that you had met six months earlier, which made me wonder about the previous eclipse that that would have taken place six months before you actually got married. Yeah. Um, Because that probably would have then happened when you reconnected would have been on an eclipse or close to one as well. Yeah, that's true. I'll have to take a look at that. Um, what was the thing that you said before? Sorry. Uh, just uh, about it happening either like with his chart oh, it, or a composite yeah, chart. Or- I'm a moon in Capricorn as well. And he's a Capricorn and has a ton of Capricorn in his chart. But I think there's also, yeah, probably like karmic connections and stuff. What's your sun sign? Cancer. So that's what's confusing uh, too is like I always thought I'm a 10th house cancer. But then on the whole sign, I have Gemini 10th house. So sure. And and part of what I should say is even though we're using whole sign as like our framework and our starting point, our primary starting point, um, it's okay then to like overlap Placidus and other forms of house division on top of that for additional information. Okay. And like reconciling those two is is ultimately like the goal. So it's not necessarily that we're completely rejecting or negating the quadrant houses, okay. but just uh, integrating the whole sign as this initial starting point. Okay, um, but thanks. it's if you if you if you have your sun in Cancer and your moon is in Capricorn, right? That means you're born on a full moon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So that might be part of the reason why um, it's mm. important for you, or they might be more important for you because you have an important lunation. Yeah, in your birth that chart. makes sense. Because yeah. to the exact day too, I reconnected with one. He was a Navy SEAL, one of his former teammates on this past one in January. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Where are your nodes? Uh, what's up? Do you know what signs your nodes are nodes are in? Yeah, Libra is my south node, and okay. Aries, and obviously. So then you would be born at the halfway point between two eclipses, um, because if the nodes are square to the luminaries, then that means you're born at the lunations that fall exactly like halfway through an eclipse series, and that's like a whole other thing that we're sort of is too complicated to get yeah. into today, but that we're focusing on just the eclipses and their polarity between those two signs. But oftentimes during the course of the eventuation of what manifests from the eclipses, there's an important turning point halfway at the lunation halfway between the eclipses. Mm -hmm. So the eclipses happen in six six month increments, but in three month increments after the eclipses, 
you'll have a set of lunations that are in the signs that are halfway between the eclipse signs. Mm. So for example, we're having Capricorn and Cancer eclipses this month. And in three months, there'll be an important turning point when there's a full moon and new moon in Aries and Libra. So it's like um, part of the whole eclipse cycle and the way that it like grows and manifests during the course of those six month periods. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, but you might might have been born at one of those important turning points, and that could be part of why it's more important for you. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. All right. Um, okay. Any other eleventh uh, house, fifth house examples before we move on? Yeah. Sorry, I can't hear just because of the. Could you speak up? You have um, Venus, did you say at 24 degrees of Taurus? Yeah. So you're wondering about aspects by degree. Okay. okay. I mean, I personally put most of the focus on the houses that it's happening in and not too much, you know, especially because what that would be a um, trine. So yeah, especially if it's not like a hard aspect, like a square or opposition or conjunction. And if yeah. you have Capricorn rising, that's what you said, right? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. going to be hard to tell because then it's going to yeah, bounce definitely. back and forth between the first and the seventh house anyways. So there might be relationship stuff that comes anyways. So it's going to be hard to distinguish between, is that coming from the seventh house activity or is that coming from the aspect of Venus? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but usually, at least for us, we don't focus as much on aspects, um, primarily just the house it falls in. But that's certainly something that's worth researching. Mm -hmm. If there's a way that you could isolate it, in different eclipses. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so I guess this is our last set of houses. Yeah. So sixth and twelfth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What are our? Uh, can we start with what are your sixth and twelfth house topics? Um, so sixth and twelfth. I mean, I often think of um, the polarity being sixth house um, physical health or you know or health issues that arise. Twelfth house mental health. Although certainly physical health can go in both places. Um, the sixth also has to do with work. Um, so sometimes either your coworkers, if you have employees, they go in the sixth house, pets often go in the sixth house. Um, I always forget about pets and then those always show up with, with people telling me sixth house things. Um, and I'm trying to think any other major thing, animals in general go in the sixth house. Um, yeah, your job, um, but usually more subordinate roles. Usually the 10th house is more career. And then 12th house is anything that takes you away from everyday life. And so it's a place of solitude. And so that can be um, positive or negative. So on the positive side, it can be like ashrams, meditation centers, things that you um, proactively go to to kind of get away from things, to have more quiet time. And in general, I think 12th house can be more like, you know, what, what kind of rest do I need? Oftentimes when there's things going on with sixth and 12th is balancing your workload or how much work you need to do and how much you need to rest and take time for yourself to do nothing. Um, 12th also has to do with any sort of other institutions that take you away from everyday society. So that can be prisons, um, mental institutions, um, any, yeah, any, any sort of things like that. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but basically institutions. Yeah, hospitals. Yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, so those are, I think, a lot of those two. Yeah. Uh, so we're ending with the fun houses, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only other, because the only other two fun topics uh, I would point out for like the 12th house is generally endings and the idea of endings, because it's the last of the 12 houses. And when the planets are moving in zodiacal order, they start with the first house and they move to the second and third and so on and so forth. And eventually you get to the 12th. And sometimes as a result of that, the 12th house has this feeling of 
closing down a cycle before you open up a new one. Um, so that's one topic that I see commonly with the 12th is this idea of, of endings or letting go of something, that which you have to let go of. Um, the other 12th house topic that's fun and kind of weird to think about is the idea of, of quote unquote enemies, which is a mm -hmm. traditional assignment of the 12th house that sounds kind of bizarre and kind of extreme, but oftentimes or sometimes does come up where if the 11th house is the place of friends and alliances, then there has to be a house that indicates the opposite of that. And the 12th house is oftentimes where that falls, where if the 11th house is like people that you get along with and you share some sort of affinity with and who, where you help each other and you're mutually supportive, the 12th house is just that place where sometimes you meet people in your life where you are at cross purposes. And despite sometimes your best efforts, there's just certain people that you don't get along with or in some instances, it comes to more extreme manifestations of, you know, you really become not positive influences in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. So sometimes thinking about, you know, that's not necessarily going to be a relevant topic in everybody's life, but occasionally, you know, people do get into trouble or they get into issues with another person in their life who has a negative or destructive influence. And sometimes you'll see the 12th house being activated in those, those cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would add one more. Um, you know, the twelfth house doesn't have just to do with mental institutions, but I would say the the mental health thing, the the piece of the modern psychological take on the twelfth house that I do definitely agree with is one's subconscious or one's kind of like internal workings, even if that's not the only thing I associate with the twelfth house. But so oftentimes when there's activity going on in the twelfth house, you can have sort of like stirrings in the more deeper recesses of your mind that you weren't aware were issues. Um, and so, you know, things can come up that are like triggers that aren't normally like at the forefront of your mind. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was like something I still needed to work through or that kind of thing. And so going for counseling or that type of thing can be like a 12th house thing as well. Yeah. And, and just reiterating something you already touched on earlier, but the 12th house is the idea of sometimes like pulling back from the world and sometimes going on a, an internal journey or sort of the dark night of the soul phase is sometimes like a 12th house type topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, does that spark any ideas or memories? Does anybody have a good example of that? Um, yeah, in the back. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's one of the issues with all of these topics is there's sometimes just some interplay between the topics. Um, and going all the way back to like the second century, the astrologer Vadius Valens from Alexandria, he like gives a list of significations of all the houses. And then at the very end, he has a sentence that says each of the house signifies, um, what it properly means, but then the opposite house cooperates. And there's an interplay of those significations. So yeah, sometimes you will see that. Mm -hmm. Any sixth house, twelfth house examples that you all are recognizing from that list? Do you know any? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's ones, there's positive examples where I've seen clients who um, had a health crisis when there's like an eclipse in their sixth, but then they got more serious about their health and like turned things around and started like a new diet or exercise regime and like got really serious about 
doing exercise and getting fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that as a, as a notable like 12th house example or sorry, 6th Sixth, house example. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of health things crop up with 6th house as well as a new job sometimes starting or ending jobs with the success. Yeah. Jobs are huge and like what one does for work mm-hmm. basically or your job um, is definitely a major 6th house topic. I've seen others where it's one of those things where, again, it seems like a minor topic, but the sixth has always been the place of subordinates or those who work in a role that's subordinate to you, which often manifests as like employees if you run your own business. And so sometimes I've seen instances where a person had an eclipse in the sixth house and somebody came into their life that ended up being their assistant and playing an important support role in helping them to achieve things with their business or their career that they wouldn't have been able to achieve otherwise without somebody coming in and helping them out in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you think of any other examples that you've seen in like client charts? Um, you know, sixth for sure. I've seen a lot of both of those. So work and health. Um, 12th house, I think I've seen sometimes, but again, it's the polarity of health with the sixth and the 12th kind of cooperating where um, sometimes people need to take time off from work because of a health thing. And then that becomes the sort of seclusion part of the 12th house or the resting and rejuvenating of the 12th house. Yeah. Did you have one? Yes, I have one. Okay. This thing's so low. Um, <laughs> you can raise it, actually. Oh, okay. I won't mess with it. I was going to. Okay. Um, but th- I was going to tell you this because it's interesting with what I had just shared, right? So my fiance, um, this is in her sixth house. There's a eclipse coming up. So I was saying she put in her notice at work um, a little bit ago and she is a subordinate, right? She's uh, not the manager. So that would fit with there too. Definitely. And the 12th house, should I just keep my distance for a while? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, not necessarily. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you also said that both of you don't have new jobs lined up yet, no. right? So that can be some of the taking time out of the 12th house. Yes, yes. And that is sort of what it feels like with that whole dynamic. But you were also talking about the three-month cycle between it. Mm-hmm. Well, three months is when we'll be there. Okay. Um, it's October-ish, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm not counting properly. Yeah, yeah. But that would be in that cycle. So I thought that was I thought that was interesting with the, um, the correlation between what it's doing with my houses and also with hers. Yeah. Oh, and in terms of cycles completing, her daughter is leaving for college. Um, so she'll it'll be just us, which will be interesting. Okay. So, yeah. What's her rising sign again? Hers is yeah. Leo. Okay, Leo rising. Mm-hmm. So it would look like this-ish. So mm-hmm. the Capricorn eclipse, the lunar eclipse is falling in her sixth house. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The lunar okay. is in her sixth. And she's quitting her job? Yes. Okay, that, that's mm-hmm. like just very literal. No, for sure. It's like, right? I again, mean, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the idea yeah. of like an ecl- a lunar eclipse, which is when the sun the and closing. moon are opposite to each mm-hmm. other. And so there's a culmination and a completion right. or a closing down of one chapter of a person's life. And she's literally quitting her job. How long has she been working that job? 11 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a huge chapter of her life ending. And she's additionally, the other theme that you're bringing up is that she's going from playing a support role and being a subordinate to suddenly owning her own business, essentially. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We still yeah. have ours going. And what's interesting too, and I thought I'd point this out because of what you were just saying, that it's not sometimes we get stuck on like, it has to be that day. Right. right? Um, but it's the start of a, it's the start of a longer cycle. So she, she put in her notice, but she's not quitting on the, you know what I mean? Her last day mm-hmm. will be, um, at the end of September, but the notice is in. So that cycle has started. Right. Um, and it's going to start playing through. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's brilliant. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Great Thank example. You. Thank, Thank you. you. 
And, you know, that that reminded me a little bit of one more topic of the 12th, since, you know, we have a lot of like sort of more bummer topics with the 6th and 12th, is um, that one of the most positive uh, uh, manifestations of the 12th house, in addition, I sort of touched on it with the like sort of ashram meditation center going off proactively to have time alone, but um, it can also be some metaphysical topics, contemplative topics, or sort of like mystical things that usually is only if your 12th house is particularly good, like it is a particularly well-conditioned 12th house, but that, those can be some of the more positive 12th house topics too that could conceivably come up when there's activity there. Yeah, like my favorite 12th house example is is Galileo was um, condemned by the church and forced to be under house arrest for the later part of his life, but that's when he wrote some of his most famous and influential works while mm -hmm. he was under house arrest. So he's kind of like imprisoned in the 12th house. Right. And some people, you know, can do more positive things with seclusion. You know, it's, it doesn't always have to be just like a dead end. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joy, you had one. Yeah. And that one's just the right height for me. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been fun to follow along with all of these this whole time. Um, and I didn't think I was like, I certainly don't have a sixth, twelfth, because I don't have any planets in either one of them. And they're, if you use uh, quadrant houses, I think they're uh, intercepted, but the signs are intercepted. However, I looked back and in 1991, I was in a 12th house perfection year. And uh, I graduated from college, moved out to Colorado with no job. And I knew my sister out here. That's the only reason I came out here. And uh, started, met somebody that ended up, uh, I both dated him and he became a spiritual teacher for me and was, he tr taught me tarot and he taught me, which I had not studied previously. And he lived in this dome in the mountains and moved me out into the do dome with him. And I mean, there was no telephone, <laughs> you know, so I was very isolated. Um, and at the same time, I was studying a lot of spirituality. And we would go into town quite a bit. In fact, I worked, uh, um, I worked and stuff like that. But I was watching the dates here. Um, and I don't know the exact dates that any of this happened. But it looks like as soon as those and the um, and so that's when the nodes were in uh, Gemini and Sagittarius. Gemini is my 12th house. And it looks like the entire time the nodes were in those houses is when I was working with this person. And as soon as the nodes moved out is about when I was like, why am I here? <laughs> and suddenly said, I'm moving back into town. This is absurd. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, that was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great example. Well, and that's brilliant because that was a process that was almost necessary because it, it's what brought you out here where you then subsequently stayed for a long time now. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it made a, a big difference that way too. But to come out here and then immediately go into this isolation of right. being out in the, but to study spirituality. So yeah, some really good 12th house things. Yeah. 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 You had two of them there. That's right. Great. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's a great example. And that is one of that's like a great example, too, of just that sometimes it's not like the most extreme examples of I isolation or solitude where you're in an institution or something. I've actually seen that pretty often where people are like just temporarily living in a more isolated place, whether that's in the mountains or on islands. I've seen a lot with the 12th house um, somewhere where it's just like not easy to get around to the mainstream of society. 
yeah if the 11th house is like being immersed in like friends and groups and people the 12th house is sort of like the opposite and being on your own and like learning how to be okay with that in some instances mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right um i think that's oh did you have one okay Okay. And part of the reason I'm bringing this one up, but I think it's a great example, is I'm really um, trying to find that work rest balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and part of it is that my son has obviously been opposed by all this Saturn Pluto stuff to, sure. you know, just for the last year or two. And um, it's just really intriguing to me. Like my prior career, I worked a lot with Reiki energy healings and metaphysical things. And I know how to rest and relax, but I'm in a really stressful career where I have to do so much and it's project management and it's massive and team-based and et cetera. But um, just constantly trying to figure out that balance. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And Uranus is about to go into my 10th house. So I'm kind of just bracing myself like, am I going to lose this job? Because <laughs> it is tough and not really, you know, it's hard to to find the other side. Right. Yeah. And that would make even more sense or be more important for you if you have Leo rising so that the sun is like the ruler of your ascendant and it's in the 12th house. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you get even more of those topics about um, vitality, both physical and yeah. mental vitality. Um, as well as like your overall life direction or life focus exactly. um, with the ruler of the ascendant being there in the 12th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also kind of doubling up as well with the sixth house being Capricorn in particular, exactly. right? The sixth house would always be like your daily work, your job right. or what you're doing every day, but it being in Capricorn, that makes so much sense that you're doing that kind of like really responsible, you know, like yes. team leading kind of thing. But then, yeah, you do have the polarity of how to, how do you take time off from that? Yeah. And um, literally this week I had to design a spreadsheet of like us handing off our various tasks and we manage a course for 700 students. And the task list was like 1500 lines long. Right. When you map it out. Yeah. It's really yeah. Crazy. So it's just become even more pronounced in terms of needing to find balance between those two extremes and being pulled in those two directions. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Um, well, I think that's a good example to close down with then. Um, is there anything else as we're wrapping up? Not that I can think of. All right. Yeah. Well, I hope that this has been like interesting and useful for people. And thanks everybody for coming today to this meeting of the Denver Astrology Group. This is like the type of thing that we've always wanted to do in terms of doing workshops like this and like working through and by having this sort of dialogue with each of you, it's like all of us are learning something and it feels like we're building something and developing something here, um, which feels like really good and really useful. So I hope everybody gains something from it. Uh, we're going to do more meetings like this in the future because there's tons of other techniques like this that th we could then layer on top of this in order to get more and more detail and clarity when we're looking at birth charts and time, trying to time events in people's lives. So um, we'll be back again doing this uh, here again before too long. Yep. Second Saturday of next month. Yeah. Second Saturday <laughs> each month uh, here at the Mercury Cafe, except next month, we will be here meeting at noon, at noon. Yes. on the second Saturday with a topic to be announced. Yep. Um, and then we have other, like with Saturn stuff, there's a lot of people that mentioned Saturn stuff. And you and I did an episode of the Astrology Podcast on Saturn Returns at one point mm -hmm. that some people might want to check out if you're going through your Saturn Return in Capricorn. 
I forget what episode it was, but just search mm-hmm. for the astrologypodcast.com Saturn Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think that's it. So thanks everyone right. for coming today. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Wow. That was a great episode of the Astrology Podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That we did not just record the introduction to a few seconds ago. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think we all learned a lot doing that meeting. Um, it was fun, as I said, talking and having that dialogue because part of what we were trying to demonstrate there was not just like hearing stories about stuff, but also part of the process of what an astrological consultation is like is very much that like dialogue process and that back and forth for the reasons that we kind of talked about for for a little bit there. Right. Yeah. We and we did go over that. So hopefully you you've already heard that. But yeah, I mean it is very much like a back and forth process of kind of drawing out um specifics from the generalities of the why are you laughing? Just laughing at the introduction. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so just drawing out, you know, specifics from the person's life um, that are based on the astrological archetypes that you do bring in as the astrologer. Um, so yeah, and it's always interesting, no matter what, even if you've heard lots of examples before. I feel like. Yeah, but your goal is to try to get to explain the archetype. It's like you explain the archetype, you explain a few possible manifestations, and it's like, how has that worked for you, mm-hmm. or does any of that resonate with you? Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes they'll start talking about their story and showing how it resonates with them, and you'll hear more clearly, and then you'll be able to feed that back into their chart to clarify things or specify even further. And there's like this back and forth process that leads to greater clarity and understanding on both the astrologer and the client's part. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, after that meeting, we that was like a big day of like organizing that. So we went and had dinner afterwards, and we were talking. And of course, as soon as we left the meeting, we started remembering other eclipse examples from different houses in our life or in different family members or clients or friends' lives that we totally wish that we had included. Yeah, which always happens that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, why don't we go through a few of them like really sure. quick, really quickly? This really is already like a. Two, two plus hour video, You're and right. yeah. I want to get hate mail for doing another three hour episode. <laughs> right, it'll be short of three hours. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the um, ninth house example that I used actually for myself in the meeting, um, I actually remembered later. You know, the we, we talked about the polarity of how the opposite two opposite houses will always be activated around the same time because they come in pairs. And so um, while my example was largely a ninth house thing, I was overseas and so forth, and you know it involved some religious groups, um, I actually remembered later, I was like, wait, I was there with my sister, and that was the third house piece, and I totally forgot to say that during the meeting. Right, so, so you were traveling abroad in a foreign country, which was like the ninth house eclipse you were having, but then mm-hmm. it was bouncing back and forth between the ninth and the third, and you were traveling with your, your sister? Right, exactly. And that was just kind of notable because we were the only ones there together who knew each other and we didn't know anyone else there. Right. And then this was also like a major turning point in your life uh, for other unrelated reasons. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's one of the examples you remembered. I remembered a fourth house example. And this is a funny example because at one point we mentioned the whole sign house thing where you it was one of the first instances like where you had you're like okay that was a good argument for whole sign houses when it was falling in my sixth house by quadrant but my seventh house by whole sign right um i had a similar experience though when i was first wrestling with the whole sign house issue way back in 2004 at the end of 2004 i was thinking about moving to seattle to be closer and to study at kepler closer to kepler college which i had already started attending but i was flying back and forth between Kepler and Denver, 
And um, I thought I was going to move to Seattle one month when I saw there was going to be like a new moon in my fourth quadrant house. Um, but then I ended up moving a month earlier than expected, and this eclipse happened. I remember standing outside and watching the eclipse, and it was eclipse in Taurus, which is my fourth whole sign house. And I ended up realizing around that time that was one of the first instances because it should have been in my third quadrant house because it was like way earlier than the IC. Mm -hmm. But because it fell in the fourth sign relative to my ascendant, it was in my fourth whole sign house, and I relocated. And moved away from my home state for the first time in my life, yeah, in order to live in Seattle. And that actually started a whole series of events where less than a year after that, I ended up moving from Seattle to Maryland to study at Project Hindsight. And that was a whole other like two year odyssey. Mm -hmm. So basically, an eclipse fell in my fourth whole sign house, and I had a major move to a different part of the country that ended up precipitated a whole series of events over the course of the next few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I think do you have do you have another one to match? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I did actually. Um, I got hired for a new job that I really wanted, and I was trying to find. I think they must have given me a phone call to tell me I got the job. But in any case, I got an email the very next day um, after the eclipse in my second house of income, and so I had just gotten hired for this new job. And all I can find is just the email from my my old boss saying like, "Here's your start dates." So I must have been hired around 24 hours within, within 24 hours of the eclipse in my second. Okay. Yeah. So an eclipse in your second house of finances and just like your livelihood and you got a new job? I got a new job that was like a job that I wanted. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. I thought so. Let's see. Other ones I wrote down. I mean, I had one major one. Um, I don't want to go into and dwell on too much, but it's mm -hmm. worth mentioning because it's one of the major like life story of like my history with eclipses that I have a long history of of like just noting things when important things happen in my life. But mm -hmm. one of them was um in so I, I had that eclipse in Taurus in my fourth house and I moved to Seattle and then I moved to Project Hindsight and I lived there for two years. And at the end of that, um there was a shift where the eclipses shifted into my eighth house and there was an eclipse in Virgo because I have Aquarius rising and there was an eclipse in Virgo in the eighth house of like mortality and death and my sibling my like only sibling my sister passed away in a car accident so on the one hand i had that experience of like a mortality in my life um but she my sister also had aquarius rising which meant that that eclipse is also taking place in her eighth house but she was the one of course that that passed away mm -hmm. so sometimes it's you know, having the experience of a death in your life or in your family that affects you, and other times it can be even something related to you yourself or your own mortality or realizations related to it. Mm -hmm. right. um, and then tied in with that, of course, was uh, our mother had Taurus rising. So when an eclipse took place in her in Virgo uh, in that same sign, it was taking place in her fifth house of children. Mm, yeah. So in that way, you could see how the eclipses were reflected in all three of our life lives in terms of our family unit. Yeah. Yeah. That's really striking. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then, but that eclipse series eventually kept shifting and kept clicking forward um, and eventually shifted not long after that, about a year after that, into Aquarius and Leo. And so then the next one, of course, was the eclipse in Leo. That uh, you mentioned during the meeting in my mm -hmm. seventh house, mm -hmm. and then as a result of moving back home to Denver to support my mom after she, my sister, passed away, 
Um, because I came back and did that, I founded the Denver Astrology Group um, and then met you at the Denver Astrology Group and started mm -hmm. like a major relationship. Right. So yeah, you could say eclipses are a pretty big deal in my life right? Um, for whatever whatever reason. Right. Yeah, whatever reason. Yeah. There's probably some reasons yeah. we'll have to look into that. Right. Uh, you got any more examples? You got a positive example to like not I, end this on a time? Oh, well, I mean, it's a lighter eighth house matter. I don't know. It's not positive. But, okay. <laughs> but just to reassure you all that if you have an eclipse coming up in your eighth house, it won't necessarily have to do with mortality. Only That is only one topic of the eighth house. Um, I actually was just scanning back quickly through the dates of the the past eclipses, and I noticed that um, when the eclipses, one of the times when they were happening in my eighth house was when I had some major credit card issues right after college or somewhere around that time, um, and they were like hounding me, and I was just like, I was a young adult and I was really upset, like they were being so mean, you know, as credit collectors are. And um, I think my parents helped me pay it off because I had medical debt. And I was like, why don't you understand? <laughs> and um, and then I like closed my credit card and like swore to never have a credit card again, which hasn't actually held. But for a very long time, I didn't have a credit card after that. So anyway, it was kind of like an ending and also like a sort of momentous event time period for eighth house matters of like credit and like debt, which is an eighth house thing. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm struggling to think of any other positive examples. Um, so maybe we'll we'll call it a day in terms of like throwing in additional chart examples at the end of this. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully, you know, if you have watched through the entire video, you will have seen a lot of examples. And that's the other thing we meant to say. We hope that um, people that are watching or listening to this episode of the podcast that if you can think of or find any good eclipse examples, either in terms of the current set of eclipses that are taking place in Cancer and Capricorn, or in terms of especially past eclipses that have occurred in your life and chronology. If you notice any major great examples, then we hope that you'll share them with us by posting your example in the comments section, either below this video if you're watching the video version on YouTube, or in the comments section on the Astrology Podcast website for the audio version. And hopefully, we could sort of like crowdsource some additional research into eclipses uh, just based on hearing what what sort of experience listeners have had. Yeah, yeah. So if you notice any good ones, then, um, yeah, definitely write comments about it. Definitely. All right. Um, and finally, the last thing that we forgot to mention, because I always forget to mention at the end, and then somebody came up to me and they're like, hey, where do you is where can I learn more about this approach to astrology that you guys are demonstrating? Or do you teach a course or a class or anything? Great. And then I remember immediately that I forgot to mention that I wrote a book. So I wrote a book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, which is available in fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, by that I mean primarily Amazon. Uh, so I'd recommend checking out my book if you want to learn this uh, like sort of approach to astrology that we both more or less demonstrate. Um, I what do you think? You like the book? Yeah, it was great. Good book. Yeah. Okay. Two thumbs. Lisa, the Eclipse Wizard, endorsed. <laughs> uh, so Lisa likes the book. We talk about Holstein houses aspects, and it basically takes you from the basics of astrology all through the way through intermediate and advanced techniques. Has a chapter on perfections, which is that technique I mentioned briefly earlier for determining if eclipses are really going to be activated for you in that year. Uh, I also teach an online course um, on Hellenistic astrology and on ancient astrology, which has over 100 hours of video lectures and instructional lectures that give you the techniques just like the ones that we talked about in this episode. Um, so that is available at uh, theastrologyschool.com, which is where I teach my online courses on different approaches to astrology. Um, I'm actually raising the price on my courses later this month, and a lot of people are signing up now in order to get in before the cutoff date, which is the end of July. 
Uh, so if you're interested in getting a discount on the course, you might want to sign up now, and it comes with a free copy of the book. Um, otherwise, they're still going to be reasonably priced after that, but you'll just get in at a discount if you sign up before the end of July. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, other than that, so the Denver Astrology Group. Denver Astrology Group, if you are in Denver, you know, come check us out second Saturday of every month at the Mercury Cafe. Yeah, if you don't have or if you're not familiar, there may be a local astrology group in your area. Search on Meetup, do a Google search for like the name of your city and astrology group or astrology organization. You might find a local astrology group. If there's not one, start one and just copy our model, just rip off our model. We don't really care. Right. <laughs> um, and start a group in your area, and then maybe you can do or lead discussions like that, and that will help build an astrological community. That's what I did when I moved back to Denver in 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's possible. Right. <laughs> um, Denver Astrology Group, and then finally, Patreon. Thank you, all the patrons who support the podcast and make this possible with the studio as well as the recording equipment. We were able to record. Uh, this meeting of the Denver Astrology Group, a lot of that's new stuff that I've just been able to acquire over the past few years as a result of the patrons who support the podcast and, and just make all of this possible. So thank you. Um, if you're interested in supporting the podcast and getting access to new episodes, getting bonus episodes or secret private casual astrology podcasts that Lisa and I record and put out from time to time where we um, what do we talk about? Talk about whatever's going on in the astro world or either astrologically speaking or community speaking. Yeah, like talked about like astrology conferences and like ephemeris gatekeeping recently. Right. <laughs> and other fun topics like that, as well as our electional astrology podcast where we put out like four or five auspicious dates over the course of the next month mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So you can find out more information about that at the astrologypodcast.com slash subscribe and just sign up to become a patron through our page on Patreon and you'll get access to all that stuff immediately. Mm -hmm. All right. I think that's it for this episode. We did it. We did not record another three-hour episode. Yes. I We're think it's definitely under. Developing um, restraint. Restraint. Yes. I didn't even know the word. Yeah. Right. I, I, I just learned to, it recently. To, yeah. Right. Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. Thanks to everyone who came to the meeting today. Um, and we look forward to seeing your comments about eclipses and hearing more eclipse stories. And good luck with the upcoming Capricorn eclipse because we're we did, we did one of them. We did the Cancer yeah. one, and then we got Capricorn Just coming up. Just a few up. days, yeah. So good luck uh, to all of you, and we will we'll see you on the other side. All right. See you next time. All right.